Welcome to Front and Center, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields, where awakening people from all sides come together to help write our new story and build upon America's sacred purpose, unity and diversity, while expressing their individual freedom in the context of sacred community. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Maxenny and Steve Behrman. front and center, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields. Hello, I'm Michael Maxetti. Today, my partner Steve and I are having a conversation to help us answer the question, how do we get government on the side of the people? And to do that, one of the most important things that we must do is to begin to, to cooperate and have conversations that can rehumanize each other so that we can get off of those battlefields, get off of the blue team and the red team, and try to get on to at least a playing field that we can begin to cooperate. And this, so before we go any further, though, I'd like to turn it over to my partner, Steve, to make a, an appropriate introduction to our guest today. Steve? Thank you. Thank you, Michael, and welcome, Nancy. Uh, Nancy Vogel was a founding member of one of the first feminist rock bands in the 1970s Bay Area women's music scene. She played bass at the first International Women's Rock Festival in Germany, 1981. She's had the good fortune to have uh, had uh, worked and studied with James and Grace Lee Boggs as mentors and friends. Uh, we'll hear more about, uh, about the Boggses as, we, uh, as we, we continue with the conversation. She's been a professional in youth development. She served on the State Superintendent's Task Force on Service Learning for the California Department of Education and as a youth service director for the Volunteer Center of Sonoma County. She was co-director and leadership coach for Sonoma's LGBTQI support group and represented Northern California as a Rotary Foundation Peace Ambassador in Barcelona, Spain. She is currently a board member of the uh, up-and-coming Common Sense Party. So welcome, Nancy. <laughs> Thank you. It's a little weird to hear all that all at one time. So, I so know, I know. It's hard. <laughs> and that's the official bio. But really, the reason why we have you here is that in these times of divisiveness and uh, separation, I think it's really so important to integrate truth from all sides. And one of our greatest resources are those individuals who've uh, been uh, really in the political scene on many different sides over time. And I think you've navigated that divide. And I think you have the uh, capacity to see things from, from a, a number of different perspectives and a unique and diverse political history. So um, why don't we begin there? Let's talk a little bit about your own political history, where you grew up, what your, uh, what your political inclinations were when you were younger, and how that transformed over time. Sure. Well... Both my parents were Republicans during the 50s, and um, and with Reagan, they were enthralled with Reagan. Um, but by the time um, the Iran-Contra uh, 
situation came around, my dad was disgusted. And so, you know, I was really proud of him. He was a, a career army. So he, we'd been, I was born in Turkey. He was stationed overseas. We lived there. And that overseas experience uh, impacted the family immeasurably. And because my mom was living in a third world country from 1949 to 52. So, uh, so it left a lot of impressions into the family. But I was loved. My dad said that um, uh, he, you know, the guy Iran. He was right on the tip of my tongue, and now I've uh, blocked his name out. Was a disgrace to the uniform. The guy who um, the oh, officer uh, Oliver North. Yes, Oliver North. Oliver yes, North. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. So he really felt that that uh, he was seeing that things were being done that were uh, untoward, and so we ended up having, you know, some wonderful conversations later on. Um, so justice, integrity, those values were really important in growing up. My dad had worked in his, his he worked his way through Morgan Park Medi um, Military Academy in Chicago because his older brother had died in World War One, and so he wanted to be in the army. So mm -hmm. my grandmother couldn't afford it. So he worked in the kitchen um, when he went to the military academy and all the other boys called him Jew boy, gave him the worst jobs to do. He would just describe this miserable being at a hot Chicago kitchen and having to do some of the work that they didn't want to do. So for him, respecting work, respecting workers and respecting people who were in relationship to you was primary, was absolutely a foundation principle in our home. And then my mom had been in the theater in Chicago and so obviously had known lots of um, lesbians and gays in the theater. And so took a very liberal and a, a very compassionate view. So um, I had a lot of support growing up. I didn't come out until, I mean, I, I came out to her, I suppose, in 1968 or 69, I guess, but um, she probably had known, you know, before then. So from there, I graduated right into feminism and the women's movement. So by 1969, I had already developed some friendships and was looking with a more critical eye at some of the cultural things that I saw and been exposed, you know, the first gay parade, not first, but the big gay parade in 1969 in LA was, was uh, revolutionary for me to, to be so isolated, to be internally oppressed as I was. And then for the first time to see a, to see a, a hill. And as far as the eye could see, were all gays marching, gays and lesbians marching. This was a profound moment because the visibility of that was transformational. So from there, I moved up to Berkeley and didn't go to Berkeley, but I went to the town of Berkeley, which was a hotbed of um, ideas and debates and action and excitement and, and creativity. And so um, I lived in Berkeley from 73 to 84, about before I moved up here to Sonoma County. 
interesting. Oh, and, uh, it's too long. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That that we want to hear you want to hear you talk because it's so interesting to see how the seeds of uh, of integrity, let's say political integrity, develop when somebody is willing to go. You know, I've changed my viewpoint because of this integrity issue that came up. So when when Oliver North went south, mm -hmm. uh, that your dad actually right. uh, made a change. Well, for him again, it was the it was the principle. It wasn't the winning. It was the principle of things, and that's what I always respected about him. So, how did you uh, get involved or get connected with James and Grace Lee Boggs? And for people who don't know who they were, uh, there is a wonderful documentary on on Grace Lee Boggs. What's the documentary called? American Revolutionary, I think. American Revolutionary, mm -hmm. and it's really about her evolution as a revolutionary. So how did you connect with her, and what was it that attracted you to the Boggs' work? And maybe say a little bit about that. Well, let's see. So I moved into a big house of women. I think it was the old governor's mansion in Berkeley, and it was the old governor's mansion from before the turn of the century. And so there were about 13 or 14 of us living there in a big collective. And uh, one of the people said, hey, there's going to be a meeting next week, uh, some musicians. We want to like do a women's music collective. And so I said, well, that sounds great. And so that next Wednesday, I moved in on a Friday or something, and the next Wednesday we had our first meeting. And uh, from that, we became a band. And so we started playing. We played for different benefits and um, outdoor marches. And so uh, from there, we made uh, an album. And then from there, we toured with the album. So we were on tour in Detroit in 1978. And uh, we played in a bar. Did I ever tell you this? I mean, I, maybe I already said this, but. Um, no, yeah. It's a new so, story for me. Okay, <laughs> so, okay. And so for our we audience. Were, <laughs> we were in a bar in Cleveland because we played a women's bar in Cleveland. And so uh, in the restroom, when you shut the door, there was a sign, a little eight and a half by 11 mimeograph probably is what it was. But it said, um, what America do you want to live in? Or something similar. And I said, well, that's interesting. What's that about? And the language that they used, the vision of the United States that they they presented was exactly the, the nation that I wanted to live in, that was based on integrity, based on respect, based on appreciating all the, the communities that had created the nation itself. And so I said, man, I got to find these people. So I, there were a lot of them. So I didn't feel bad about taking, but I folded it. I put it in my pocket <laughs> and our next town was Detroit because we were going to play a gig there. And so I walked in to the bar, wherever it was, and there were people selling books right at the front of the show. And sure enough, it was the same group. So they were selling Jimmy and Grace's book and, uh, I was ecstatic because I had found the people that had written all this beautiful um, language. So, uh, so then I became involved with the Detroit folks who were selling and they had a group there. I met Jimmy and Grace. And from then on, I came home. Uh, some other people knew about Jimmy and Grace and we did a study group on revolution and evolution in the 20th century. I think they came out for a week or two and every night, you know, from, I don't know, four to 10 or something. We just uh, went through the book and talked about ideas and, and uh, 
my brain hurt. To be honest, it's the first time my brain ever hurt. I mean, you can go to, you know, you can go work in the garden. You can maybe, I don't know, go play baseball or something and your muscles hurt. But this was the first time my brain hurt, really. After that, in you know, the inquiry and the challenges by Jimmy and Grace, I mean, they, they didn't hold anything back. I mean, if they thought your comment was undeveloped, they would let me <laughs> And so... Um, <laughs> So that was a profound experience for me to be in that intellectual environment with people who had already been in the movement. Um, and I had my own ideologically pure ideas from being a lesbian, feminist, and socialist, not, I guess, a, cl a classical socialist, but we who were more towards that nonprofit type view. So we were lesbian, feminist, socialist. And so... Um, so I had my position to views, but then to be exposed to a whole other realm of the, the union work during the 30s and the, the auto plants and the racism and the, the whole world that they had existed in before I was even around was such a profound humbling for me. It was a really, really important developmental stage for me because I, um, because I opened my mind in a, in a new way. That was really healthy, very healthy. Let me, let me uh, interject something here. Uh, when people, and I hope they truly go and, and look up and watch the American Revolutionary, the evolution of Grace Lee Boggs, that's the, the, the name when people, it's on YouTube and, and other platforms, I'm sure. Uh, but you're actually in that movie in, in a few scenes there at length. Were those scenes in Berkeley when you were questioning uh, Grace on, on some topics? No, uh, in 1986, um, we realized that Jimmy and Grace were, were getting older. I mean, they weren't in their 60s, I guess, but Lyman, Freddie's husband, had already died. And so Freddie was a little bit older, Freddie Payne, who's also in, in the book. They were four of them. And uh, so we started thinking, wow, somebody needs to document this before they're gone. And so Francis Reed from Iris Films in Berkeley got a film crew together and we got some funding and we flew to Maine and went to Sutton Island on Maine, which conversations in Maine, um, they would go there during the summer and they would invite people that they knew and they would discuss politics for the month of August. And they would just hone in and dive deep on the United States and what it means to be here in this country, what it means to create structures of governance and have conversations that you don't have time to just get into. And so we went there and we filmed for about a week or 10 days. And then we kept all the, the tapes just because it was really for posterity or for some other time. And then when Grace Lee, there's another Grace Lee who did this movie of Grace Lee Boggs. But there's a whole story in that. Um, we told her about the film and the, yeah, the films that we had. And then Francis gave her all of the film and there were hours and hours and hours of film. So I think I have about a second and a half. It's maybe a second. And three you have quarters. more than that. You have more than that. But uh, I'd like to back up though for, and drill into something because that flyer that you politely took one of uh -huh. from the back of that in that restroom that led you to uh, the Boggs and Detroit. The question was asked, 
what America do you want to live in? And that is a key question that is very similar to part of the underpinnings to our of our show and the intent of our show, which is to help us bring forth and write a new story that it's specifically about how can we create a more beautiful and just world that our hearts know is possible. Mm-hmm. Which, I love that quote, by the way. Yeah, and that originally, with the exception we added, and just comes from Charles Eisenstein, which mm-hmm. we interviewed in earlier. But what America do you want to live in? That is such an important question that parallels to the heart of what kind of a world do we want to live in? Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose of, of our conversation really today is to get into that. I'd like to ask you about what are some of the specifics that you could recall from your time with James and Grace Lee Boggs in, in the conversations that were about consciousness and the evolution of freedom? What, what has led you then to, 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 what do you recall from that? And then how did you move forward to where you now wanted to get re-engaged in politics at this time in your life and to get back on track to helping create that vision and answer that question, what America do we want to live in? What kind of America do we want to live in? Well, um, big question, two of them. Yeah, boy, that's... um, Let's focus on just what is your recollections from Boggs that helped you challenge your thinking of of what kind of America do we want to live in? Well, Grace, of course, had her PhD in Hegel's uh, theory of contradictions. So that experience of being around those conversations, it always challenged the listener or the participant to go underneath whatever the conflict was and say, what's the fundamental contradiction in this conversation that we're really discussing. And then of course, once you get to that fundamental contradiction, the tension that's really there, then of course it opens up into another tension. And so one of the things that they were adamant about is that something that's created at a particular time, you can have a brilliant theory and it's a brilliant theory for that time. But 20 years later, when the the culture changes, perhaps that theory no longer is appropriate to that particular time in history. And so it allowed me to understand what dogma is and being ideologically positioned such that you hold on to your position because you think you're right, regardless of the fact that there's there's new information or that there it, or that the world has changed or the culture has changed, whatever. And so that experience set me on a different way of of participating in my environment because I'm looking at what's there, what's the fundamental tension that's causing whatever is going on, what's a potential solution, and that what is wanted and needed for that particular issue. And so that's the way I frame moving in the world now. And it's and it work, it seems to work for me. I mean, I wish I were more articulate about it, but um, but that is one fundamental thing. Certainly, 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 racism was deeply rooted in everything they did. Um, Their story is is unique because uh, James Boggs was from Marion Junction, Alabama. He came from a sharecropping family. Um, He married Grace Boggs, who's a Bryn Mawr PhD, 
And their two best friends, uh, Lyman Payne was uh, blue blood from the Mayflower, Sutton Island, Maine. And uh, Freddie Payne, his wife, was came to New York in one summer where they, they took garment workers from uh, the garment workers in, in uh, New York, in the New York garment district. She was a working class Jew in the garment district, and she had a summer at Grenoir and, and met Grace. So the four of them had the most remarkable perceptions about living in the United States. And so from that, it infused also everything we did because one view is never gonna be the answer to anything. And so when you harness the wisdom from different perspectives and different experiences, you increase the, the capacity for change because you've gotten the best ideas and you create a new whole. And so that was that was just important for me. Well, that's such another way to say seeking the whole truth together. One of the things that we're trying to do that will, uh, that's beautiful. Um, Steve, I know you you actually interviewed the boxer. Yeah, I, I had really good win. in 1980. Um, oh, okay. I had a magazine called Pathways Magazine. My, my good friend, Marilyn Becker, was uh, worked with them for many years. That name sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah, my Ma Marilyn Becker Kobliska was her mm -hmm. last name. And anyway, so uh, I was blown away. I just looked at some of uh, my notes from, I, I read the interview, and it could have been done yesterday here. Mm -hmm. The consciousness that they had, for example, um, uh, uh, the consciousness and conscience, moving from consciousness, which is, how we've been wronged by these external forces to conscience, which is struggling with the enemy within. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in a certain regard, listening to James and, uh, you know, in a certain, it's really kind of funny, but uh, embedded in this uh, left-wing pro progressive notion were some very conservative values. You know, the, the conservative values of responsibility for oneself and, uh, mm -hmm. and all of that. And, you know, it could, it's very fresh today. They were way ahead of their time because of how they were integrating these um, different perspectives. Uh, and, in, and in some ways, I think, rejected by some of the left because it did sound too conservative. And, and it's, it's, it's challenging to talk about. The, the, it, the, there's a very, uh, I don't want to say sweet spot because it's not, but it's a very precarious balance between victimization and, and, and internalized oppression. And so it's just, a, and then personal responsibility. It's a very, very precarious line. And so Jimmy would challenge, I mean, one example I think that, that they would use is that we have a healthcare system that does not heal people. It, it, uh, it applies remedies to uh, symptoms. So we don't have really a health system but then on the other hand, Jimmy would say, but then we should not be eating junk food. So, I mean, we should keep our bodies healthy. Yeah. And so is it someone's fault that we're not eating healthy food? Now, you can go into prices and absolutely and the food deserts in African-American communities. I know all of that is true. But the idea that we have as much personal responsibility to step up as we are being oppressed by the dominant culture, 
I think that is constantly also in my thinking because you have to appreciate both sides because they're real. You know, oppression and racism, it is hardcore. But then internalized oppression is also hardcore. And I've experienced that. And I have censored myself. I have not stood up because I felt less than and I had my own experience with that. So, yeah. So what you bring up is true. They, they weren't afraid to say what they felt was appropriate. Exactly, and uh, and and it, it was really uh, quite amazing watching that watching that documentary. You know, Grace was a Chinese American, mm-hmm. and yet nobody ever thought of her. I mean, she was just part of the black community, so mm-hmm. it just uh, it, it was such a blending of uh, of intention and so on. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate how you're you're talking about the nuance of all of these different viewpoints to bump people out of their uh, ideological. Um, uh, structures and rigidity. So now here you are, you're now, uh, fast forward 40 years or so, you're now on the board of the Common Sense Party. So how did the, um, how did you get to that pr- perspective and what is, how has your political perspective developed over, uh, since the time that you've um, been involved with the, with the boxes? Well, I was doing a lot of community work, so I can't say I've been in politics all this time because I haven't. I've been in community politics. Yeah. Uh, during the Central American War, there was a heightened paranoia that um, that what was going on in Central America was going to be transferred uh, to the United States and that it was happening. And so the idea of assassinations and and uh, overt, covert um uh, covert uh, strategies that were happening would be dangerous to progressives and liberals and, and radicals for, for certain. And so the idea was put out by some people, hey, we're talking about changing the United States. What do you do in your own community? And so I took that to heart. And so I, I had just moved up here. And so I dove into creating community here and worked in a nonprofit community here with agencies and youth development. So I, so rather than take a national view, I was one of, I was a part of this movement, I guess, to dig down into your own community and see what works and create new relationships here that were authentic relationships, not, uh, not uh, theoretical. Nancy, and so, so I did that. Nancy, let me interrupt for a second. Where is here for the audience? Oh, uh, Sonoma County, California. Thanks. Yeah. Please, go ahead. Uh, so um, so it wasn't until, I don't know, I, I, Mike, I don't know, did you email me or did you message me or something on Facebook? I, I can't remember how I got connected to Mike again, but we we went to high school together. We, we've, we were from freshman to senior together at uh, South High in Torrance. And so when I started talking to Mike, I was so delighted that he was involved in the same ways that I was uh, philosophically in terms of looking at the division and the divisiveness between the right and the left and the um, the uh, personalization of politics that criminalized each side almost. And so uh, I was intrigued by that. I wanted to know more. And that's when he sent me some information about um, common sense. And it was, we, we connected about reconnected uh, and to back up a little bit to add to what uh, Nancy just said, how we met. We actually went to school together for four years at South Torrance High School. 
we were friends, but we were not buddies. We didn't run around mm -hmm. in the same social circles, but we served on student council together for, yeah. for uh, three, basically three full years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I had always had a great deal of respect for Nancy, but we weren't buddies. And I really only saw her uh, after high school at a couple of the class reunions. And so literally from the time we graduated high school for 50 years, right. for 50 years, we went on very separate journeys. And I forget exactly what it was that I got an inkling that your journey was very different than mine, but in many ways paralleled our learning and brought us to a point and I reached out to you and we had lunch and that's when we started to explore what your journey had been and where you were uh, intellectually uh, on this issue of, of our world's politics today, what's happening in our country uh, and these issues of freedom and equality and justice. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I shared with her that I was uh, part of the leadership team at the Common Sense Party and explaining to her about that and then recognizing that part of the, the evolution of the Common Sense Party needs leadership like what Nancy has in that perspective. And that's where uh, we shared a lot of, of conversations and, and, and that's where she then joined our advisory board and uh, where she is now, and it was, and has joined uh, joined us in helping us create the seed that will grow this party. So I'll leave it at that. But you're you know, I I can I can really see the threads of the Boggs's influence um, continuing because they were very much very practical. They were very practical. They were very, very feet on the ground, mm -hmm. and so. Uh, your community involvement in Sonoma County uh, and actually getting to the nitty-gritty rather than the theoretical. Uh, wh uh, what experience there comes to mind as, as something that was, that was really a, a, a marker or an accomplishment or something that you went, that was really excellent? There's something in that uh, experience. Mm, I don't know if I can... Uh... Yeah, that's that's hard to say. I mean, we're working with you have job alikes, you know, in every in every town you have job alikes. So my my cadre was all the youth development people in various mm -hmm. youth programs all over town. So I think there was a camaraderie from people who were experiencing the same thing, because to a certain extent, young people are also victimized in in adults not crediting them, you know, not giving them enough um, credit for, for their intelligence and contribution. And so I got involved in youth service. And so uh, linking young people with authentic community activities that then impacted themselves and, and impacted them in the future. So I guess the most exciting work was one of the high schools changed their schedule around so that the students didn't go to school on Tuesdays and Thursdays after lunch. They went out into the community. So my job was to place them and 260 kids would go out to the community Tuesday and Thursday and then another 250 on Monday and Wednesday. And so they were serving in nonprofit organizations and in elementary schools as mentors and uh, 
playground assistance. And that was, that was the most remarkable experience I had being a part of probably, I think there were about 35, 40 agencies that we worked with. And so I got to see how the nonprofit community works and how it serves, the, it serves more people. The sad part about that is that when, and I, this, is, this is probably gonna be a, a topic of conversation at one point, but when the movement came to, um, to lower taxes, so what happened is people didn't wanna pay retirement for people who worked at the county. So the county budgets of providing um, healthcare and uh, student programs and the things that the county used to do they no longer did it and, and, and it went to the nonprofit community. And so the nonprofit community assumed the role of, of, stu of youth care in all of Sonoma County. And what happens is the reduced taxes then sent that down to the nonprofit organizations, which paid just above working, I mean, um, living wages because nonprofit community doesn't have retirement and they make much less. Than the private private sector certainly and government and so it's something to talk about when we talk about government what services should be provided and what kind of remuneration should people have because right now there's a huge disparity between people who work in the nonprofit community and do the direct service work and a shrinking county budget that now is just administration so there's good points and then there's some bad points that came from it too This, that's this that's really, very, really, very interesting. Uh, go ahead, Michael. You're going to say something. Well, I was going to say there's, you know, we could go on uh, in much more length about uh, these topics of government and and that about what America do we want to live in. But that leads us. There's two other subjects that I wanted to, to engage conversation with Nancy and Steve on, and one of those is is to have a conversation and try to unpack a little bit of the controversy around critical race theory. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also to unpack a little bit around the controversy of gender queer and the use of pronouns. Mm -hmm. And so why don't we save those conversations for the next part of our conversation in a separate segment for those people who want to. I hope people have enjoyed listening to your journey Nancy, and we'll come back and listen to part two where we're going to go into a discussion about critical race theory. So, yeah, well, I appreciate everybody who stuck it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Steve, so far, there's four of us. <laughs> okay. All right. So, but there'll be more. So, with that, uh, if you're watching front and center for the first time, we hope that you will go to. Uh, our locals platform or on Rumble and consider supporting us so that Steve and I can continue our work and continue having conversations with such people as Nancy to bring out areas that need to have more in-depth conversation and to hopefully spark some curiosity uh, in things that you might do. And if you're watching on YouTube or listening to our audio podcasts, either on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or Red Circle, or wherever, please subscribe. Obviously, please like and, of course, please share with your friends and followers. So, for the moment, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields, it's a long journey to the more beautiful and just world our hearts know is possible. 
let us go there together. And let's remember the question that led Nancy to the Boggses. What America do you want to live in? Thank you very much. Thank you.